Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. Do you ever struggle with assessment? Okay, I think every teacher struggles with assessment. The reality is, is that assessment is one of these things that we know we need to do, but do we ever have enough time to do it? What do we assess? What do we not? And how do we come up with those marks at the end of the year to put on the report card? Well, in today's episode, we're going to be talking specifically about how we can assess reading and where we can find those reading assessments throughout our day without necessarily going and reverting back to old school teaching strategies that have us doing kill and drill type units and activities based on worksheets alone. So let's dig in. So my name is Patty and I am a teacher in Ontario, Canada, and I am also the teacher, author, and founder behind badlylearning.com. And every single week, we have another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning where we talk all about teaching in the junior grades in Canada for the most part, because that's where I am and that's where I teach. So when we're talking about reading assessment, there's really three different types of assessment. So we're digging in. We're not talking about what your lessons are, although there are some assessments that are going to shape what your lessons are going to look like. But we're talking about how we come up with assessments specifically for reading and where that material is coming from. Now, there's lots of different activities that you can do that are related to reading that we are convinced that we can gather reading assessments out of. But I'm going to caution you against where we find those reading assessments and how we get it and where the break is between teacher directed and what is accessible by students. So again, there are three different types of assessment. We have diagnostic assessment, we have formative assessment, and we have summative assessment. Our diagnostic assessment is going to tell us what they can do now before any teaching has occurred. These are going to include things like your standardized reading assessment, such as CASI, PM benchmarks, or DRA. All of these are going to be key indicators that will help you determine where students are on a standardized scale. Then we have formative assessments. These are going to be the weekly assessments that you are carrying out where you're gathering some of the things that they're doing and you're determining what they know and what their next steps are. The goals of formative assessment are not to provide summative marks or final evaluative marks, but they're to inform your instruction going forward as to what students need, where the gaps are, and where you need to go next. You can evaluate what they have done successfully and what their next step needs to be as they're checking off boxes along the way. But you're really looking at this point as it's going to, the purpose of formative instruction is going to be to inform your instruction. Then we finally have summative. Now this is going to happen closer to the end of say the reporting period where we are going to be able to actually take a look at what the students' best examples of work are from the term and evaluate those comparatively to grade level diagnostic standards or grade level standardized responses to determine whether or not students have met the criteria of their grade. So. With those three pieces of assessment in mind, let's back up a little bit and think about our reading instruction using the gradual release of responsibility and where we can actually start assessing students on reading. 
So we're using the gradual release of responsibility, which we often do in my Ignited Literacy program. We are using in a week, modeled reading, shared reading, guided reading, independent reading. There are four different reading type of tasks that are going to happen. In modeled reading, the teacher is reading. That means the teacher is either reading a novel or the teacher is reading a picture book. For instructional purposes, we are modeling with read-alouds because we want to model for students what good readers do. We want to show them what happens when someone reads so that they can transfer that learning, transfer our modeling into what they do independently. For that reason, because I'm the one doing the reading, I cannot be assessing a student's reading. So the concept of novel studies where a teacher does the reading and students do any activity that is kind of fruit of that tree cannot be as used to assess reading. The material, if I am doing the reading and a student is doing an activity, they're doing an oral language activity because if I'm doing the reading, they're listening. So their oral comprehension is what's actually being assessed. Now, we may want them to do that with shared activities with partners. We may want to do that to help model how to construct reading responses, how to show understanding, because you're doing it with a heck of a lot of teacher support in a model type of lesson. So in all of that, if the teacher is the one reading the text, then and the student is not reading the text independently, I am not assessing student reading. Instead, I'm using that as a teaching strategy to eventually get students to transfer that skill into their independent work as I'm gradually releasing the responsibility of who is doing the work from my hands into student hands. So I'm not using my picture books to assess student reading, and I'm definitely not using novels to assess student reading. On an aside, my problem generally with novels as an instructional tool is the fact that for many students, they are not reading at that level. We often have a wide variety of reading levels in our classroom. So whole class novels aren't differentiated and don't meet the needs of the widest variety of students in my room. Do I read novels in my classroom? Absolutely, I read novels in my classroom. We use it as consolidation. It's another form of modeled reading where we get to compare all of the other things we've been reading in that week to what's happening in our novel. We still want to be reading novels. I just don't overfocus like they have in traditional classrooms on everybody's going to read a novel. We're going to all read one book as a whole class and then analyze every single chapter or do chapter summaries or chapter activities after we read a chapter together. That's not what I'm doing in my classrooms for reading. So I'm not getting any assessments off of novels. I'm modeling only off of novels, modeled and shared reading on novels and picture books alone. The second is shared reading. Now, shared reading is where the students may have a copy of the text and you have a text and you read it together, but it has a tremendous amount of teacher support involved. In fact, I'm probably doing most of the reading and then I will pass off a question or a task to the students to do. They'll do that. They may do it with a partner, but it's all highly supported learning still in shared reading. So for that reason, I am not assessing reading because of a shared reading activity. I am using shared reading so that students can take the skills they're learning in shared reading and transfer them into guided and independent reading. The third is guided reading. Now, this is where I'm going to get the most amount of assessment on students through observation and conversations. 
In fact, two thirds of my assessment for reading is most likely going to be happening in guided reading because I am going to be watching them read so I can assess in Ontario. Those are expectations 2.0 and those are reading expectations 3.0 of reading familiar words, reading with fluency, understanding form and style, understanding voice and conventions that are happening inside texts that we read, understanding author's purpose, point of view. All of that is happening in my guided reading. Because in guided reading, students are doing the reading and I'm just prompting with things like questions, I can assess their answers. Now, they're providing the oral answers. That's totally fine. I can assess their reading skills because I'm listening to them reading. I'm listening to their decoding. I can listen to how they problem solve words. I can listen to them de deciding who the main character is, who, what the setting is, having them orally find evidence. All of that can happen in a guided reading session. Now I'm going to take notes on what they're doing in guided reading. I am going to assess them based on not the activity. I'm going to assess them based on the expectations. I assess according to expectations. I don't assess activities. Activities happen to be the vehicle in which I'm driving in. They're not the place I'm driving to or where I'm going or how I'm driving. They're just the vehicle. So as a teacher, I want to assess how they're doing that skill. I don't want to assess what they're using to show that skill, if that makes sense. If you're thinking about the driving analogy, you don't assess the car, you address their driving practices. Are they speeding? Are they staying within the lines? What's their driving skill level? Not does their vehicle look pretty? So if we use that analogy, that helps. But guided reading is going to give me two thirds of my assessment data. Which is why, even though in junior grades, we may not necessarily be teaching them decoding skills. We may not be teaching them or focusing a heck of a lot of our time on teaching phonemic awareness and how to read, but we're teaching them how to think about reading and we're using that guided reading time because we need the assessment data. And because we want to use the triangulation of data where not all of our information is coming from products, but two thirds of our data is coming from observations and conversations, we're going to be collecting that. Now, how you track that data is totally up to you as a teacher. It is important that you are recording it, but how you record it is totally up to you. There is no right or wrong way to record it. You want to have something where you can prove it then have, say, a guided reading tracking assessment page. This is our tracking assessment page from Ignited Literacy, and it includes four different levels or four different overall expectations, key tasks inside each of that, and it's simply just a checklist, observations, and what you think their next step is, where their reading level is, whether they're decoding, all of those things. And it's just a quick look for that you can check off when you're meeting them for guided reading on what you're observing. You can collect data this way. You can collect data in a class list. You can do it digitally. You can take photos. You can take recordings. You really just need to use whatever works. Is there one tool that you could possibly use? No. Is there one tool I could always give you? Probably not because I literally change my tools and assessment tools every single year depending on what is going to work better for me this year. I try, I experiment, I go back and forth. As long as I'm collecting it, it doesn't matter whether I'm collecting it exactly the same way as everybody else. 
but you definitely want to have ways that work for you individually on how you track and collect data. So that leads into the formative assessment. A formative assessment is designed for us to be able to take assessment information as the students are in the process of learning, which is a long time. Students in my room are in a process of learning all the time. So I'm going to be collecting formative assessment all the time. Specifically for reading, I'm definitely collecting formative assessment during guided reading. I will do formalized assessment and comprehension tasks throughout the year, but I have most of my data that I'm collecting is formative. It helps to inform my instruction. It tells me what they can do now, what they're good at doing, what expectations they've already said, yep, check, done. I can demonstrate that I can make connections. I'm good to go. But where I struggle is making inferences. So if I know that a student is struggling because I've collected their work, I can see that this is a struggle for them. I can see that that is a skill they're struggling with. Then I can tailor my future instructions to meet that deficit and help them to create a more well-rounded student because it's informing my instruction. Some of the things when I'm looking at, say, in guided reading or even when I'm collecting their weekly reading response, there's generally things I'm looking for. Number one, can they show that they understand the text in the reading for meaning expectation? Can they understand the purpose? Can they use a variety of comprehension strategies? Are they analyzing and responding to the text? And can they identify their point of view? Can they identify their opinion and support it with evidence? These are all things I want to know. Do they recognize different text forms? Do they recognize text patterns? Are they understanding how texts are structured? Can they pull out in a summary what the beginning, the middle, and the end is? Can they identify the author's purpose and why the author's purpose is? Can they identify the genre of the story that they're reading? Can they identify that and support it? So this is a fable because here are the elements that I think create this to be a fable. And are they able to reflect on which strategies they use the most and think deeper? These are some of the questions I'm asking myself as I'm looking at their work. Can their response show a deeper understanding, especially as they get higher into the junior grades and grade six? I'm expecting that students are going beyond surface level comprehension skills and they're digging deeper into themes and they're able to support with detailed evidence and explanations as to why that evidence is relevant to support their opinion. I want them to be well-written responses, and we're going to make sure that that happens each and every week as they show me what they can do and we determine what the next step is. I'm collecting that data every time I am assessing them for formative assessment. And as I introduce more modeled and shared lessons for my students each and every week, that is going to help them target those lagging skills that I've identified in previous weeks and help them to further refine the skills that they need to practice on. So if I'm noticing that students are struggling with structuring a reading response, I will model a reading response in either guided reading or shared reading. I will take that time to model that for them. If they're struggling with having a deeper understanding, I may throw up a quote of the week and have them make a connection between why I picked that quote and the text that they're reading and how those two things relate to one another. 
getting them to deepen their understanding and see how these things are actually connected at a deeper level, looking for metaphors, looking for similes, looking for different things that are happening in the text that allow them to see just a little bit beyond the surface level understanding and get them to dig a lot deeper into what things actually mean. And finally, the third type of assessment is going to be summative assessment. I love to look at summative assessment for language arts as a portfolio project. Now, this is where you're going to have students all throughout the term creating formative assessment pieces. And they're handing them into you. You're giving them feedback. They're handing it a better response the next time. And you're finding there's consistent evidence of where they are working. Then at the end or closer to the end of the term, when you're ready to evaluate them, you simply ask students to pick out their best examples of their reading responses for the term that best shows their ability and give them a chance to improve them. So maybe there's one that they think they did a really bad job on and they want to actually improve or rewrite that response and hand that in. That's totally fine. But allowing students to self-select the pieces that they want to be evaluated to form the bulk of their mark actually puts a lot of power and control into them. It covers a lot of those metacognitive pieces that we're required to assess. And it means that we can take some of these formative pieces that have informed your instruction. We can now reuse those for summative pieces as students have improved them and handed them to you and shown that that's the good example of what they're able to do. We don't necessarily take all of their work and average them out and come up with a B. We want the most consistent evidence. We may have some weeks that they just didn't really connect to the story, so it didn't really work for them. So allow them to choose the pieces that they think best demonstrate their understanding. That's the summative assessment. That's the final project for the term. And that portfolio piece will allow you to take that information and form a summative mark that would actually go on their report card when you evaluate that at the by a rubric. Am I doing this all the time? No, I am providing feedback. I'm providing a progressing statement, either progressing very well, well, with some success, with difficulty. I'm providing those feedback terms to my students every time they're writing a reading response. Every time we're doing guided reading, I will make it very clear where they are in terms of assessment, where my formative assessment is, where they're comparing to where the grade standard is. That's all fine. But I want my students to be able to self-select which pieces they did best throughout the term. And that's what I will evaluate to determine their mark. Gives them a little bit more control, but it means I'm not constantly chasing evaluation. That we are creating things over and over again and that we are getting them to the place where they can say, this is my best work. This is the stuff that represents me the best, that represents my abilities the best. This is what I'm handing in. This is what I want you to use for my report card mark because this is what's most consistent. I think the last thing we can do for summative assessment is to go super old school and try to make it so quantitative that we take all of their marks that they've ever done and we average them out and get the mark that they get. Growing success here in Ontario actually describes that we should try to avoid that, that we do want to use the best indicator or the most consistent indicator to give their grade. So they get a level zero or two incompletes. That doesn't mean that they should be getting a C if most of their work is at the A level. Their most consistent work should be their mark. 
And for most of our students, it's probably going to average out to in the B range. So I hope this chat gave you a little bit of understanding as to how to assess reading specifically versus how you structure your instructional time and where you can find marks for your reading assessment. The bulk of your marks should be coming from your guided and independent activities that are based on texts your students read. They should not be based on the areas where you are doing the bulk of the reading. While those are really important, what you're actually assessing on those tasks are going to be oral language, which is still an important part of your language program. It's just not how we assess reading. So I hope this will give you some food for thought, some ideas about how to structure your assessment for reading. And we will see you again next week for another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. <laughs>